So let's um, let's turn to Deuteronomy twenty-eight to our main scripture for this subject. We're talking about maintaining an open heaven. And we're examining scriptures in order to identify the things that the Bible says will close the windows of heaven. And by that, by a closed heaven, we mean uh, things that will hinder you from receiving from God. Uh, you know, things that close up heaven and it would stop the blessings of God from coming into your life. So that's what we mean by closed heaven. And once we've identified these things from the Word, then we can recognize them and we want to avoid them because we, all, we want to maintain an open heaven where, you know, God's blessings and favor and all just freely flows. And if, if things start slowing down or if things start even getting worse, maybe we need to take a little inventory, you know, through some things. And, and some of these things are what we're looking at, things that will close the windows of heaven. Uh, some of them are more obvious than others. But uh, we want to identify these things so that we can recognize them and say, uh-uh, I don't want to go any further in that direction and and uh, eradicate this and, and uh, maintain an open heaven so that we've got the blessings of God uh, flowing freely toward us with, with no hindrances. So Deuteronomy 28-23 refers to a, a closed heaven. It doesn't use those words, but it, uh, this is part of the... Um, the list of blessings and curses that were dependent on the people obeying the word. And by giving the people a list of instructions and warnings, um, God was attempting to bless and protect them. That, that was the purpose of these blessings and curses. God was attempting to bless them and saying, keep away from this or the windows of heaven will close over you, and I won't be able to bless you, but if you keep my word, you're going to live under an open heaven, and all these blessings are going to come on you and overtake you. So depending on their choices and their obedience to the word, they would be blessed under an open heaven, or they would live in failure, defeat, poverty, and sickness, and so forth, under a closed heaven. And this... Uh, their choices and their obedience to the word uh, would affect every area of their life. If you read this entire chapter of Deuteronomy 28, it covers every area of their life. Their health, their, their mental health, their children, their protection, their bank accounts, their livelihood, their occupation, everything would be affected by this. So we began this study last time by looking we're just going to do a, a little review uh, of last time. We, we, uh, we began this study by looking at one of the predominant reasons why many Christians live under a closed heaven. And one of the most common reasons is not tithing. That's the 
Uh, Malachi 3 is one of, of the, um, I forgot now, what did I say, seven or eight times, I think, in the Bible. Uh, it refers to open heaven, and that's one of the scriptures predominant scriptures, it promises us that when we bring our tithe unto the Lord, uh, that he will open the windows of heaven. Uh, and and we'll, that, that's one of the things that opens heaven in our lives. Uh, we saw in Malachi 3 that uh, violating this God-ordained principle brings a self-imposed penalty of living under a closed heaven. And there are preachers and churches and entire denominations that exempt themselves from the biblical principle of tithing. Uh, other than not tithing, there are other things we see in the Bible that can close the windows of heaven over your life and become a hindrance in your ability to receive from God. Uh, we saw that the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' time, they were prime examples of tithers who lived under a closed heaven. Uh, their beliefs, their actions, their thoughts, uh, uh, their attitudes, uh, their words, cut them off from the blessings of God, even though they were meticulous tithers. They were over the top. So we began to explore some other things other than not tithing that can close the windows of heaven. And another thing we looked at was wrong priorities. And we looked at Matthew 6.33 that says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And the things that Jesus was talking about uh, were material things, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, uh, things that pertain to everyday life. The uh, New Living Translation says, make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Uh, in, uh, so in the context of seeking first the kingdom of God, uh, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but over in Matthew 6, I went back and I read that whole little discourse there, five or six verses. I read it all together and I saw that Jesus mentioned worry six times in some form. When he was talking about seeking first the kingdom of God, he mentions worry six times. Uh, the King James Version says, take no fault. That's the King James Version, but in the New King James Version, it uses worry, which is really a better word. Because we all know what worry is. We don't, we don't say take no fault today. That's old English. We say worry today. And in verses 25 to 34, he said, do not worry three times. He said, why do you worry one time? And he mentioned worrying one time. So seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness would include being free from anxiety and worry about the daily needs of life. Wrong priorities would include pursuing other things first instead of God's kingdom and the way he operates. 
Uh, it would include living a self-willed lifestyle, not submitting to the lordship of Jesus in every area of our lives. We mentioned that there are, you know, Christians that have made Jesus their savior, but he's not their Lord when it comes to every area. There are some areas of their life they have not submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Uh, we're not to let worries about tomorrow affect our relationship with God today. These are some of the things that will close the windows of heaven. We also looked at some of the promises and rewards for pursuing and making the kingdom of God and his righteousness first priority. There are promises and rewards associated with that, and we looked at some of those. Uh, Jesus ends this discourse in Matthew 6 about seeking first the kingdom. He ends that discourse there on trusting God and not worrying about the daily needs of life. And by saying that, uh, he will provide uh, these things, these material daily things, and we are to seek and pursue first the kingdom of God and make that our first, uh, our primary concern. And he said he would provide all of these daily requirements. Now, in the times we live in, there are many things that compete for priority in our lives. And we have to choose to give him first place in every area of our life. And I think, um, I think in the day and time we live in, that is a major hindrance to a lot of people. There's just so many things competing for priority in our lives. Uh, and Jesus said over there in Mark 4, you know, the, uh, the cares of this world, which is worry, again, the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, the lust or pressure of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are the things about modern, living in modern society that compete for our priority and um, come in to try to choke the word out of our lives and make it unfruitful. And in a way, that choking the word and it becomes unfruitful, that's just kind of another way of saying it closes heaven, you know. Uh, because these, these things keep us from receiving because Jesus is talking about there. He ends up with the good ground talking about these uh, are those sown, in, the words sown in good ground, which receive the word uh, and bear a hundredfold, 30, 60, and a hundredfold return. Uh, we also talked about another uh, factor that can close the windows of heaven is double-mindedness. We looked at James chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we looked at the difference between double-minded, what it means to be double-minded, and what it means to be undecided. They're, they're not the same. Double-minded is a conflict between your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. What your conscious mind and your spirit knows to be true in the Word, and your subconscious mind has been uh, taught 
things, information, it has received information that it has accumulated over the years that was affected by what you heard, what your family, what your teachers, what your pastor or your church or however you were brought up that is often contrary to the word of God. So you've got this conflict going on there that, that can become a hindrance to your being able to receive because every time you, you, know, you read something in the word or you hear something and you get excited about it, and something in the back of your mind will pop up and say, well, that's not right, <laughs> you know, or that's not what I was taught when I grew up. And so you got this conflict, and you got to get uh, these in an agreement. You got to bring your, you got to, um, we talked about the solution is making the word of God final authority in every situation, and, and making that word final authority and Fleshing out all those old ideas and all that old information that's contrary to the Word of God and getting your subconscious mind in agreement with what the Word says so you don't have that conflict anymore. We talked about undecided is just a person who changes their mind or they can't make up their mind about something. That's not, that's not double-minded. So... Um, so the solution is to make God's word final authority and bring your subconscious mind into agreement with the word. Now today we're going to move on to uh, several other things. Uh, today we're going to talk about another thing that will um, close the windows of heaven. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 8. And again, we're talking about anything that will hinder your ability to receive from the Lord. And some of these are not so obvious, but when you see them in the Word, you'll, you'll, you'll see it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 12. Something else that, will, that is capable of closing the windows of heaven is unaccepted offerings. Now, we don't think about um, God accepting or not accepting an offering, but we see a number of examples in the Bible where God accepted the people's offering and where he did not accept their offering for whatever reason. Now, here in 2 Corinthians 8, it, uh, verse 12 says, uh, he's talking about this offering that they were taking up to take to the saints in Jerusalem. And in verse 12, he says, For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. The expanded Bible says, If you want to give eager, if you want and are eager and willing to give your gift, it will be accepted. It will be judged by what you have, not by what you do not have. So it's necessary that we give our offerings in a way that's pleasing and acceptable to God because he's the one 
that's multiplying them back to us. Now, any church and any ministry will accept your offering. <laughs> I can guarantee you they'll accept it. Regardless of how you feel about it or your attitude or whatever, they'll, they'll take it. But they're not the ones multiplying it back to you. God's the one that's going to multiply it back to you. So an offering is anything you give to God over and above the tithe. Uh, so we, we've talked about this in the past, the difference between the, a tithe and offering. The tithe is God's property to begin with. An offering is a free will gift that should be motiva motivated by a heart of gratitude for what God has already provided. And that's what it means here, according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So it's in according to what God's already blessed you with. Um, now we know from scripture, God is not obligated to accept every offering. And let's just look, we'll just look at a couple of examples. Um, let's, let's go back. Uh, you can turn over to Genesis 4 if you want to. Just, we're just going to look at a couple of verses there. Genesis 4, verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of, a, of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now the uh, contemporary English version says, and Abel also gave an offering to the Lord. He killed the firstborn lamb from one of his sheep and gave the Lord the best parts of it. The Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering. So Abel brought the first and the best. He brought the best that he had. And it says God was pleased with it. Then the... Uh, the New International Revised Version says, um, After some time, Cain gathered some things he had grown. Now, this is verse 3, I think. Yeah. Uh, the NIRV says, After some time, Cain gathered some things he had grown. He brought them as an offering to the Lord. And verse 5 says, Unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. So God accepted Abel's offering, and he did not accept Cain's offering. So here is an example of, of uh, you know, of God is not obligated to accept every offering that, that's brought to him. Even though Cain brought an offering... Most likely, it was poor quality. It says he gathered some of the things he had grown. It doesn't sound like he took much time uh, and forethought about what he was going to give. Maybe the last minute he just rushed out and gathered up a sack of this and a sack of that and, and brought it to the Lord and just, it, it just expected God to be pleased with it. But God didn't accept it. We don't know exactly. I mean, I've heard it preached 
in the past that God uh, accepted Abel's offering because it was a lamb, and he accepted he did not accept Cain's offering because it wasn't a lamb. But that's not true, because um, we we see offerings in the Old Testament of grain and harvest and uh, you know grain harvest, fruit harvest, uh, the crops of the ground. In uh, Leviticus, it talks about the the tide, the first fruits of your crops and your increase. So God certainly uh, received offerings from from crops and harvest. So that's that's not uh, that's not right. We don't know exactly. Perhaps his motives or his attitude was not right. Perhaps it was a burden to him, and it was not really an offering of thanksgiving. But anyway, regardless, the windows of heaven definitely closed over Cain's life. Verse 12 in the New Living Te uh, Translation says, No longer will it, the earth, yield abundant crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless fugitive on the earth, constantly wandering from place to place. So because Cain Either his motives weren't right or his, his attitude or the quality of his offering was second best or third best or just whatever was left over. Uh, God was not pleased with the offering that he brought him and he definitely lived under uh, a closed heaven. This, this verse makes it quite clear. Now let's look at one more example of... Uh, offerings that were not accepted by God over in Malachi 1. And that's the last book in the Old Testament right before you get to Matthew. Oh, I love it. In Malachi 1, God has a little um, talk here with the priest of the day. Uh, and he's not too happy with the thing, way things are going here, uh, the priests were bringing blind, crippled, and diseased animals to the Lord as an offering. And the poor quality of the animals showed disrespect for God. And God said, take these to your mayor and see if he likes it. I don't want them, <laughs> you know. So he's, he's getting on their case here about the quality of the offerings. They offered polluted bread on the altar. All this was inferior, substandard offerings, and they knew better. They knew better than this. Uh, and when God called them up and challenged them about it, they said, what have we done wrong? <laughs> you know? So not only was the quality poor, their attitude was not right. They had become lazy and insincere. Their service before the Lord was no longer from a heart of, of uh, obedience or a desire to please God. All this serving the Lord had become a burden, uh, and, and it was just a chore for them, you know. Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? And this is good enough, and, and this kind of an attitude. And God was not pleased about it. In verse 10, uh, 
He says, who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? He's talking about the temple. Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. The uh, New Living Translation says, I wish that someone among you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not at all pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will not accept your offerings. So God is not obligated to accept just any offering. But let's look here in 2 Corinthians at the requirements for an acceptable offering. And we see a couple of points here in chapter 8. Verse 12 says, number 1, for if there first be a willing mind, an acceptable offering is one that comes from a willing mind. When you have a willing mind to give what you're giving, the Lord will accept and be pleased with your offering. Uh, back in the, um, well, over in the next chapter there, 9 verse 7, it says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. This is talking about someone who has a willing mind. They have a, willing, a willingness to give what they're giving. It's not grudging. It's not a burden. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're willing and happy to give it. The Amplified Classic says, Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. Now sometimes, probably all of us in here at some time or another, we have visited a church or we've gone to a meeting and they put a lot of pressure on people to give or to give certain amounts. Now, this is not really giving with a willing mind, is it? Um, this says, um, one of the other, uh, I think it's the Amplified Classic, goes on to say, For God loves, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. So when people... You go somewhere and people start putting pressure on you to give. Don't, don't, don't give in. I mean, you just give what's in your heart to give. And, and uh, you know, be, be happy to give what you're giving. But don't let people force you uh, into giving beyond what's in your heart to give. Because you want the Lord to accept what you're giving and your attitude needs to be right and your motive needs to be right and here he says uh you know let let him give as he's made up his own mind not reluctant not grudgingly and not under compulsion so we shouldn't be put under compulsion uh when it comes to giving so don't allow other people to to do that just if if you've already got in your heart to give unless the lord changes your heart about it Carry, carry on through with it and don't be uh, forced into anything else. 
Uh, the Living Bible says, for cheerful givers are the ones God prizes. Uh, a second uh, requirement for an acceptable offering here in verse 12, it says, give according to what you have. It is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Uh, you know, sometimes when, when we go to give an offering, the tendency is to think about what we don't have or what we need, you know. Um, and that begins to influence uh, what we give. So, so he's saying don't give according to what you don't have and what you need. Uh, give according to what God has already blessed you with, what he's already supplied you with. Give out of that. Give according, give with a thankful heart according to what God has already supplied you with uh, and blessed you with right now. If your giving is guided by what you don't have, then there's a tendency to give less and it becomes more of a burden to you and uh, it, it's less, uh, it's not really an expression of thanksgiving, it just becomes a burden. And that's not, we, we don't want to get caught up in that. So let your giving be guided by the goodness of God and what he's already done for you and your giving will be motivated by a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. That's really what he's saying here. And, th and that will always be an offering that God will accept. Uh, we're going to move on. There's a couple of more examples, but, but let's, let's uh, move on to um, um, our next reason. Another reason for the windows of heaven closing over your life is a lack of understanding. A lack of understanding. And let's turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 19. This is Jesus's, uh, well, it's Matthew's account of Jesus's teaching on the sower sows the word. We have it recorded in Matthew and Mark. This is Matthew's account. And verse 19 says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. Now this describes a person who is unable to receive because they didn't understand what they heard. They didn't value what they heard, and they let the devil steal it and rob them of the promise. Let's read that again. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. So your level of understanding is associated with the value 
you put on the word that you hear and your determination to protect and defend it when persecution and trials come to try to uh, get you to give up and throw that word down and just let the devil steal it out of your heart and rob you of what you're believing and standing for. So your, your understanding has a lot to do with how you value what you hear in the word. What you hear, but also the value that you place on it. Now, the parable of the sower here in Matthew and Mark brings this out. And it connects our ability to receive according to the word that we hear and understand and the value that we place on it. And if you look at other translations of some of these verses, it, it brings that out. Now, verse 12 of uh, Matthew 13 in the expanded Bible says, Those who have understanding will be given more. So you, you can see that your, your level of understanding of the word is directly connected to God's ability to give you more and, and to bring blessing into your life. And they will have all they need in abundance. But those who do not have understanding, even what they have will be taken away from them. You could say the windows of heaven close because they don't understand what the word teaches. And if you don't understand what belongs to you and what Jesus has done for you and what he's redeemed us from and what he's redeemed us into and what he's already provided for us, if you don't understand all these things, how can you receive all the benefits uh, associated what, with what Jesus has already bought and paid for us to have? We need to understand these things. And the only way we understand them is through the teaching of the word. Now, Mark's account of this parable uh, in chapter 4, I'm just going to turn over there, Mark 4, 24. Uh, Jesus said, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, or with what measure you measure or understand, it shall be measured to you. Again, the connection between you receiving according to what you understand. And unto you that hear, and, and hear with understanding, more will be given. So, um, again, he brings this out. He connects our ability to receive according to the word that we hear and understand. And the value we place on it. Verse 12. Um, now, let me go back to Matthew 13. Uh, I think it's there. I want to look at verse 12. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he has. 
Uh, the expanded Bible says, those who have understanding will be given more and they will have an abundance. But those who do not have understanding, even what they have will be taken away from them. Now, in Mark's account, Jesus warns us about the importance of what we hear and expose ourselves to. Uh, that's what he's saying here in Mark 4.24. Take heed what you hear. Uh, be selective about what you hear. What you hear is of utmost importance. Uh, and what we expose ourselves to is, is of utmost importance because it's important. It's of utmost important who teaches you the word of God. Now, who you listen to is going to shape and mold what you understand about the Word. Uh, what the pastor or teacher understands is either going to, what they understand about the Word is either going to increase your ability to receive from God or it's going to hinder your ability to receive from God. Now, um, over in Galatians, the first few chapters, Paul ran into some of this. Um, there, the, these Galatian new believers, they had received Jesus uh, as their Lord and Savior. And then uh, some false teachers came in and infiltrated the church. And they began to teach these people something else that was contrary to what Paul had taught them. And these other false teachers, they began to teach them that, yes, you may have received Jesus, but that's not enough to be saved. You've also got to keep all the requirements of the law, and you've still got to be circumcised. And so they were listening to this other teaching. And Paul says there, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who, who tricked you? You're going backwards, you know. You're going backwards to the Old Testament. We, Jesus has redeemed us from all, uh, all those sacrificial work and those works of the law. We're not saved by works. We're, we're justified by faith and faith only. We're, we're not under the works of the law anymore. But these false teachers had come in and they were teaching these things. Uh, and, 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 and it was pulling them backwards because they had allowed they, they had allowed themselves to be exposed to this teaching and it was affecting them. And Paul had to come in and, and correct them. Now in that case, the false teachers, they were deliberately undermining the teaching of Paul. Uh, but today, that's not so much the case. Today, it's not so much a deliberate uh, misleading of people. It's just that, uh, you know, it's mostly a case of pastors and teachers not understanding what the Word teaches. You know, they're, they're teaching according to their understanding of it, which a lot depends on where they went to school and what theology college they went to and all this kind of thing. It, it, it totally influences their understanding of the word and what they teach. So if you are learning from a teacher who does not understand 
that it's God's desire to bless you through the laws of seed time and harvest, it's going to greatly hinder your ability to receive financial and material blessings. If that's what you're listening to, it's going to be a hindrance to you. If the word of God says Jesus took your sicknesses and bore your pain, and it does say that, if the teacher you're listening to does not understand that, and they tell you that healing is no longer available today, it is going to greatly hinder your ability to receive healing. That's just the way it is. The Word of God teaches that financial blessing, good health, long life have already been paid for and promised. But if you don't understand that, and if you're listening to other teachers who don't understand that, and they're telling you that these things are no longer available and it's not the will of God, it's going to directly hinder your ability to receive from God. So it, it's absolutely vital that we, we, what we expose ourselves to and who we're, who we're taught by, who we allow to teach us. Proverbs 24, verse 30 to 34. You can write that down. We, we're not going to turn there. But Proverbs 24, 30 to 34, describes the closed heaven over the person void of understanding. It says, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. In other words, he didn't understand uh, the word of God, and he didn't understand uh, the principles that, and, and what he had heard. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. This is poverty coming on, on uh, people, people living in poverty because of a lack of understanding. They don't understand that they can't sleep all day. They got to get up and do, you know, they got to get up and, and uh, get, to, get to business. Whatever God's called them to do, uh, they got to get a job or, or whatever. Uh, you can't just sleep all day and prosper. And if they don't understand that, they're going to stay poor. Uh, it is of utmost importance you understand what the Word of God teaches. Christians who sit under wrong teaching, they may go to church every Sunday and they may have a Bible in every room. But the windows of heaven are closed over their life and they cannot receive from God because of a lack of understanding of the Word and what Jesus has already bought and paid for us to have and what already belongs to us, and what he's redeemed us from, and what he's redeemed us into, and the promises of God. If, if you, it, I don't care if you've been saved 50 years. If you don't understand these things, um, you know, God is not going to be able to bless you at the level uh, he wants to, and your understanding of the word is directly connected to this. 
Um, write this down. You cannot receive from God beyond your understanding of the word. You cannot receive from God beyond your understanding of the word. But the more we learn and understand about the word concerning um, our right standing with God, our authority, what Jesus took in our place on the cross, and what he redeemed us from, and what he's provided for us right now in this lifetime, the freer we become. The more we understand these things, the freer we get from that curse and all of its effects. The, the curse no longer has a grip on us anymore. It, it begins to fall away because we understand that doesn't belong to me anymore. Jesus has redeemed me from that. I don't have to have that. I don't have to take that. Um, because and, and you begin to have more insight and understanding about uh, what Jesus has already done for us. And it's absolutely vital in order to increase and receive healing or prosperity or, or whatever, uh, you know, is, is a blessing from the Lord. Uh, verse 23 um, in uh, Matthew, I think it's Matthew 23, says, But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understands it. He that he hears the word and understands it. How does it affect? It bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So you can see the different measures that people received were directly connected to their level of understanding of what they were hearing. So the more you understand about the laws of seed time and harvest, as, as you have more understanding of how they work, you're going to see your financial uh, situation improve. And I'm a, you know, I'm, I totally bear witness with that. Maybe some of you haven't been in it long enough to have, have uh, you know, seen significant improvements in your life but I'm standing here to tell you yeah the more but but it didn't happen overnight you have to be a student of the word and you have to begin to hear these things and and you have to understand what you're hearing and you have to listen to teachers who have understanding about it themselves and they've lived it themselves and and um and, and it works because they're, they're principles of God. But they're not out there just, you know, the, the people who are not seeking after it, they're not going to get it, you know. Um, and that comes to anything, really. But, but it, it's kind of like, let's say, um, let's say somebody uh, said, Barb, I'm giving you this farm. And there's a brand new tractor, and there's a brand new plow, and there's a, 
you know, there's your seed that you, all the seed that you need, and there's some fertilizer and all these various equipment uh, pieces out there. Uh, you're now a farmer. Now, what do I understand about farming? Not much right now, but I got everything I need to farm. I got everything I need to, to produce a harvest, not only enough food for me, but to feed a lot of other people as well. But if I have no understanding about when to plant and how to plant and how to use that plow and when to use it and, and uh, you know, what time of the year do I sow, when, how do I reap it, when do I reap it and all that. If I don't have some understanding of basic farming principles, my first year as a farmer is probably not going to be very successful. But if I get some books on farming, and I take some courses on farming, and I increase my understanding about how to farm, and what to sow in this soil, and what's not best for this soil, and, and these kind of principles, my level of increase, what I'm able to produce on that farm, is going to grow. And it's directly connected to my understanding of how to farm. And this is one of the problems in our society today. We have not been taught in the church. We have not been taught these things. For centuries we have not been taught these things. People even think it's some kind of a new doctrine. It's, it's so neglected. And uh, also, you know, this was... This was written to people in an agricultural society, and they understood all these things. We don't live in an agricultural society anymore. Uh, you know, we, we talk about stocks and bonds and uh, dividends and all, the, you know, all these kinds of things. We don't have a farming mentality, and that's why we got to do some study in this area because when it comes to the area of finances especially because we're just, we just haven't been exposed to these things and our understanding of it has been zero. And that's why it's, uh, you know, that's why it takes a while to see some progress in your situation. We're not, but, boast, we're not boasting about it, but we should be where we are. Yeah. We've been in this sort of ministry for over 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can, I, I know without having known you very long, you're in a whole lot better situation today than you started out 30 years ago because your understanding of the word has increased. You know, uh, and, and you don't think about it in that context, really. You just think, well, things have improved or whatever, but it's directly connected to the word that you hear, who you listen to, and your understanding of, of what the word teaches. So, the more you understand, the more you can receive through an open heaven. That's really what Jesus is teaching here in this parable. Um, Jesus said, whatever level of understanding you have when you give, your ability to receive will be increased or it will be hindered. And that's what he's talking about, the poor ground and the good ground. 
The poor ground didn't produce anything because they didn't understand it. The devil came and, and snatched the word away and they gave up altogether. But the good ground, the people that heard it and understood and they valued what they heard and when the persecution came and, uh, and pressured them to try to, to give up, stop going to those meetings, stop tithing, stop giving, whatever, when the pressure came on them to give up and quit, they said no. They said no. We're, we're, we, we understand what we hear and we're not giving up. This will work. We just got to give it some time. Now, in Mark 24, 24, in the Passion Translation, it says, Then he said to them, Be diligent to understand the meaning behind everything you hear. For as you do, more understanding will be given to you. And according to the depth of your longing to understand, much more will be added to you. So we kept seeing these, we kept seeing this over and over here, that more will be added to you the more you understand about the word of God that you hear. When you understand that Jesus has already bought and paid for your healing, and by the stripes of Jesus you were already healed, when people get a revelation of that and, and understand it, they're on their way out. If they stick with it, they're on their way to healing. But the problem is, and many times the devil comes and steals the word from them through various forms, or they're either listening to people teaching that that's passed away and God doesn't heal everybody and blah, blah, blah. And so the windows of heaven are closed over them. How can you possibly receive healing when somebody's telling you it, it's, it's no longer available? It's, it isn't going to happen. Now, John 8, 31, 32, we won't turn there, but uh, this also supports this thought. Then, Jesus, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, the worldwide English translation of this verse says, And you will understand the truth, and the truth will make you free. The more you understand the truth, the more it will set you free. So it's directly, the amount of freedom that we walk in is directly connected to the amount of understanding we have about what the Word teaches. <clears throat> By being a student of the Word and increasing your understanding of it, you increase your ability to receive. And part of the vision of this ministry is to increase the understanding of the Word for believers. That's part of our goals and objectives, is to increase the understanding of the Word of God among believers and enabling them to live an, an overcoming, victorious, abundant life because it's directly connected to your understanding of the Word of God. Proverbs, we won't turn there, but write down Proverbs 7, 4. 
This gives understanding utmost importance. The New Century Version says, Treat wisdom as a sister and make understanding your closest friend. Make understanding your closest friend. In other words, it's, a, it's something you need to value. Proverbs 12, 11 in the Geneva Bible says, He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth the idol is destitute of understanding. Again, that's kind of similar to what we read about the man with the broken down walls and the thorns and the nettles that had overgrown because he's idle and he's just sleeping and he's not getting up and, and uh, you know, following God and following God's call on his life or, or anything. So he that followeth the idol is destitute of understanding. So who you associate with and who you run around with and who you keep company with can also affect um, your understanding of the Word of God and, and your ability to receive from God. Now, we'll just, I'll just mention a few things about uh, receiving understanding. If it's so important, then we need to think about how do we get understanding? How do we receive it? Well, number one, ask for it. Ask for understanding. 1 Kings 3, 5 to 14. You can just write that down. 1 Kings 3, 5 to 14. Solomon asked the Lord for understanding and, and wisdom and understanding. And as a result, he not only received understanding, the Lord said, because you didn't ask me for wealth and riches, you asked me for understanding. I'm not only going to give you understanding, I'm going to give you the wealth and the riches as well. And that's exactly what happened. Riches and honor God also gave to him. Secondly, seek the Lord. Proverbs 28.5 says, they that seek the Lord understand all things. Now we talked about, we mentioned last time, this word seek in uh, the New Testament, Greek, there in Matthew 6, where it talks about seeking first the kingdom. It means to pursue and to strive after and to research and to give diligent search to something. This is not just casual, uh, you know, curiosity. Uh, thirdly, be a student of the Word. Psalm 119, 104 says, Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. What verse was that? Uh, Psalm 119, 104. In other words, uh, you know, I hate any, anything that doesn't align with the Word. Uh, or it sets itself against the word. Anything that that's I'm hearing that does not line up with what the word teaches, I hate that. You know, I'm I'm not giving it any place. The Passion Translation says, "For your truth is the source of my understanding." You could say your word is the source of my understanding, not the falsehoods 
of those who don't know you, which I despise. 2 Timothy 2.15 in the God's Word translation says, Do your best to present yourself to God as a tried and true worker who isn't ashamed to teach the word of truth correctly. So that's really talking to me <laughs> and uh, other people in the position of teaching. Paul wrote that to Timothy. Second uh, Timothy 2.15 where it says in the King James it says study to show thyself approved a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. That's a King James. I read the God's Word translation. Do your best to present yourself to God as a tried and true worker who isn't ashamed to teach the word of truth correctly. And I think that's also part of the problem in the church today is that there's people afraid to teach the word correctly. They're just afraid. It's, it's fear of man. Um, and fourthly, confess that you have it. Confess that you have understanding. Ephesians 1, 15 to 17. We're all familiar with this prayer that Paul prayed. Uh, I make it personal. So I, I, you know, it's the way I confess I have it. I make it personal that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of my understanding being enlightened, that I may know the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So confess that you have understanding. I have wisdom and I have understanding, and I make understanding my closest friend. Amen. So as you continually increase your understanding of God's word, you will continually increase your ability to receive.